You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I think a lot of our unhappiness, our complaints, our dissatisfactions stem from not realizing this truth about ourselves. That is, who we are in Christ, what we've become in Christ, our bright future ahead. We need to live our lives in context of this verse of Scripture, our standing, our destiny, rather than the immediate things before us. We need to have an eternal perspective, a view of our lives. It can be so easy to focus on your difficulties and struggles in life instead of trusting God. Oftentimes, the sin in your life has to do with self-seeking fulfillment and satisfaction. What is so important in your life that you put it before your relationship with God? In today's message, Pastor Mike will explain that you wouldn't be tempted to follow your own desires if you realize all that you have in Christ. Then you will experience what true life in Christ is all about. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, Destined for Glory. John chapter 3 and verse 2, and the title of this evening's message is Destined for Glory. Beloved, and he's addressing the churches now, beloved, that's who you are in Christ, beloved of God, beloved of Christ, beloved now, uh, beloved also by John, okay, now we are children of God, and it has not yet revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, that is Jesus, upon his coming back for the church, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What we have here is one of the great New Testament descriptions of the Christian and of the Christian's life in this present world. And I got to tell you something. I spent the last week with this verse of Scripture And this is one of the blessings, i got to tell you, being the pastor of this church, because as I'm putting together these messages and throughout the week, I'm thinking about the themes, I'm thinking about drawing out the lessons from the text of Scripture that we're going to be treating, and God just opens them up to me, and they serve as a great encouragement to me as well. So I'm like with these verses of Scripture that I share with you on Thursdays and Sundays all week long. I wake up in the morning every morning, and I'm thinking about the text that we're going to be treating in these services. And I assure you, this last week was a very 
encouraging and enriching one for me as I was just meditating upon this text of Scripture this evening. But it was also a very humbling one as well as an uplifting one. So this evening, I just want you to let it soak in and allow God to just do the work that he wants to do within our lives. And I hope that it will be just as enriching and as uplifting as it was for me for you as well. I mean, when you read this text of Scripture, and then when you think of yourself and all of our frailties and all of our inconsistencies and what we generally see of ourselves and observe about ourselves and about our lives, as terrible at times as it may be, as a Christian in this world, how inadequate are all our ideas. A fellow who is a hymnist, and he is recommended to us as a hymnist, a fellow whose name was Richard Baxter, who lived in the 1600s. He was an English Puritan. He was considered a great theologian, a church leader. He was also a poet. And in one of his writings, he expressed it this way. And I think it really fits in with our text this evening. He said, and I quote, Lord, it belongs not to my care, whether I die or live, to love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to soar to endless day? Christ leads me through no darker rooms than he went through before. He that into God's kingdom comes must enter by this door. Come, Lord, when grace hath made me meet thy blessed face to see, for if thy work on earth be sweet, what will thy glory be? Then shall I end my sad complaints and weary sinful days and join with the triumphant saints who sing Jehovah's praise. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but tis enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. And I think it really expresses this text quite well in this fellow's writings. So let me ask you this question. Can we really say those words from our hearts? Is that the sentiment of our hearts as well? Is that our hope? Is that our view of ourselves and of our life as Christian people in this present world? Is that our view of life and of death and of eternity? Well, let's go back to our text of Scripture, because according to our text, this is the Christian view. Let's read it one more time. Verse 2, chapter 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he, Christ, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I do feel that this is perhaps the greatest weakness of all in the Christian church. What am I referring to? That is, we fail to realize what we are or who we are and what we actually possess. Now, with that said, that brings us to our first point. If you're taking notes, write it down. Reaping the full benefits of the Christian life. I think a lot of our unhappiness, our complaints, our dissatisfactions stem from not realizing this truth about ourselves. That is, 
who we are in Christ, what we've become in Christ, our bright future ahead. We need to live our lives in context of this verse of Scripture, our standing, our destiny, rather than the immediate things before us. We need to have an eternal perspective, a view of our lives and the things that we actually do possess, rather than focusing in on all of life's troubles, all of the difficulties, all of the struggles. And yes, there are difficulties, and yes, there are struggles. But particularly in those kinds of times, we ought to appeal to this verse of Scripture and meditate upon it. Let me also add, I think that most of our failures to live a victorious Christian life, as we should live it, is also due to the same cause. You say, what am I talking about? Well, think about this. If only we realized who we are, then the problem of conduct would almost automatically be solved. All of our sin has to do with self-seeking, fulfillment, and satisfaction. It could always be traced right back to our disobedience unto the Lord. Our practicing sin can be traced right back to a desire for fulfillment, for self-satisfaction. That's really what is behind our choosing to sin. And yes, we may at times object to the stringent demands of the gospel, but if we just realized our true greatness, position, and standing, that true life that has already been given to us, we wouldn't be looking elsewhere. We wouldn't even entertain the idea of temptation and sin. We wouldn't be tempted to sin if we realized what we already possess. Going back to that whole idea that the thing behind our choosing to sin is self, self-seeking fulfillment and satisfaction. Our fulfillment and satisfaction is in Christ, and these are things that we already possess. But we fail to acknowledge and recognize that when temptation presents an opportunity for us. Here's an observation for you, and you probably are aware of this, or maybe you haven't even thought about it. Have you ever noticed in the Bible each appeal that's made to us, where we're exhorted in the Bible, towards good living and behavior is always made in terms of our position. For example, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, in verses 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So this is one of the blessings. God is in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is actually alive in us, living in us. And he draws this conclusion. He says, for you were bought at a price, and therefore, here's the conclusion, all of what God has done, he's entered into us through the Spirit. We've been bought with the price, the tremendous price that Christ paid. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So the point, again, is each appeal, exhortation in the Bible towards good living and behavior is always made in terms of our position and what God has already given to us, what God has already done for us. The Bible never asks us to do anything without reminding us first of all of what we have and who we are. Let me give you another cross-reference. Why don't you go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter in chapter 2, in verses 9 through 11. He reminds us there, Peter that is, 
You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So he's going through this list of all the things that God has done in us and for us. Uh, we're a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then the conclusion. He goes on in verse 11, and he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So once again, the Bible never asks us to do anything without reminding us first of all of what we possess and who we are. So this is the very thing that John, let's go back to our text now in, in John, in his, in his epistle, there in 1 John. And so this is the very thing that John is concerned about in this epistle, reaping the full benefits of the Christian life, that they should be living the Christian life. Now, what does that include, the Christian life? What am I referring to? Well, some of the topics that we've already addressed in our studies have been dealing with the subject of righteousness and how to live righteously, keeping the commandments of God, loving the brethren, hating the world. All of these things are a part of our Christian life, living the Christian life. Okay, so here's the question then. How do we realize who we are? How do we realize the Christian life? Well, simply by simply realizing who we are. That's it. Basically, that's the answer to that question. Now, let's consider this verse, some of its further aspects, I want you to notice that all of these statements that are included there in verse 2 are positive ones. And that brings us to our second point. We know that we are the children of God. Notice here in verse 2, John doesn't say, we shall be the children of God. He doesn't suggest that. He says, we are. Do you see those two words there? He says, we are the children of God. And let me also add, and we'll never be more the children of God than we are at this very present time. And we need to understand that. We need to realize that. And again, it serves to help us gain a greater appreciation. It serves to protect us and keep us from sinning. You see, I am as certainly a child of God now as I shall be in glory. Yes, it's true. I shall be a much better man then, in that day, when we see Jesus and we become like him, when he transforms us into his very image. But in that day, I shall be no more a child of God than I am at this present time. You know, the human analogy, and the scriptures serve this up time and time again, the relationship between a child and a parent puts this perfectly. Conduct does not determine relationship. When my kids acted up, when they were growing up, when they lived under my roof, I didn't put them up for an adoption. That didn't make them less of a, one of my kids on the basis of my performance. So relationship is something that is vital. It is something that is organic. It is something that is internal. Let me use a story that Jesus told concerning the prodigal son. I want you to think about that. The prodigal son, 
and that story, by the way, is recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, the prodigal son was as much the son of his father as was the elder brother. Even though he squandered his father's inheritance and the older brother was faithful to his father. But nevertheless, they were both the sons of the father. You see, our relationship with God through Christ is something that is fixed. It is something that remains. Other things are variable, and they come and go. But notice what John tells us here in this text. He says, beloved, now, not sometime in the future, but he says, now are we the sons and daughters of God. So let me ask you this question. Do you know this? Are you quite certain about that? And it's so important that you know that. In spite of your weaknesses and consistencies, your failures, your giving yourself over to temptation and sin, because the devil will come and whisper in your ear, you're not a child of God any longer. God has blown you off. And in fact, he has put you up for adoption. So we need to understand this. We need to realize this. Do you know this? Are you quite certain about that? Well, someone says, how is this knowledge obtainable? How is it possible? What indications do I have that I am a child of God. This is particularly important, especially when you've been tempted to sin and you've succumbed to that sin. And then the devil comes and he begins to mess around with your head and whispers in your ear and suggests that you're not a child of God any longer. Well, you can appeal to these principles. First of all, men and women who are children of God are aware of a new life a new nature within them. In the book of Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul put it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we know that we're a child of God? Well, there's this work of God going on within your life. You know that Christ has entered into you, that you are, in fact, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are aware that there is another factor, another person, another presence, a kind of dualism, if you will, that's going on inside of us. Another way to gauge whether or not we know that we are a child of God is men and women who are children of God are deeply aware of sin within them. There is that conviction of sin. Now, in comparison, the unregenerate Natural man, the person that is who hasn't been born again of the Spirit of God, who Christ hasn't entered into, are not aware of their sinful nature. In fact, Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 1 in comparison. That whole chapter, most of that chapter, is a picture in contrast of what we were before Christ and now what we've become in and through Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we're reminded that at one time, That is, before we gave our lives to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. By the way, that's one of the reasons why you come up against such resistance when talking to an unbeliever about their need of repentance, you see, because they're not aware of sin. They're not even aware of the fact that they are sinners. But the child of God is aware of that fact. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans in chapter 7, in verse 18. And here's a guy, I mean, think about who he was. 
one of the pillars of the church, an apostle, a guy who leaves all of us in the dust. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. So within him, deep within him, he realized he was aware of sin within him. There was that conviction. And then he goes on in that same chapter in verse 24, and he says, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, are you aware of these things within you? If you are, that's just an indication of the fact that you are a child of God. You see, it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that exposes our sinful nature, that convicts us of our sin, the depths of sin that resides in our hearts. So anyway, all of these things are indications that we are God's children. What are they? An awareness of sin, but the desire to get rid of it. Now, therein lies the difference between the two. It's not just enough the claim that we are a child of God, to know that we are a child of God, that we are sinners, but also there's that desire to want to rid ourselves of it. We're going to do everything that we can possibly do to do exactly that. Longing to know God better. Is that your heart's desire? A delight in the things of God. What are we talking about, the things of God? Bible study, prayer, fellowship, all of these things. We have an intimate relationship with God and also the rest of God's family. All of these are indications that you are a child of God. So when the devil comes and whispers in your ears, particularly when you've blown it, and you know you're going to blow it, appeal back to these indications and be encouraged. These are just some of the tests which we apply to ourselves to prove whether we are indeed a child of God. Now that brings us to our third point, Let's go on to the next declaration, and this serves up as our third point. We are destined for glory, which is also the title of this evening's message. Notice John puts it this way in verse 2, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Okay, what is he referring to? That is, what we are going to be has yet not been revealed to us, but we know that we are destined for it. We will experience it one day. We've just gone from humiliation, our ineptness to be the kinds of people that God wants us to be, our failures to glorification. Do you see that? The truth be told, we're following in the steps of our Lord, who was born in the city of Bethlehem in a stable, working as a carpenter, the people not recognizing him for who he was, the Savior, It was humiliation. He was rejected, but he no longer is in that state of humiliation. He has passed on to glory, and gang, one day, so shall we. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. 
Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart, not be troubled.